Hey, it's Brandon here and I have some big news. Seven Figure Millennials is now beyond curious. I am so excited for this new brand and I would highly encourage you to go check out episode number 140 for all of the juicy details. But as a teaser for episode 140, the central question for Seven Figure Millennials, the original show from the beginning was, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? I spent over 1,000 hours researching this question and published 139 episodes. And after all of that, I have an answer. And I put together that answer in a legit masterclass that weaves together clips from previous guests all to answer that question. So if you wanna hear my answer, the why behind Beyond Curious and the vision moving forward, go check out episode number 140. But you are here listening to this episode, which I know is amazing, but I would just highly recommend you also check out episode number 140 for the full explanation behind the rebrand. All right, here's your episode. Well, hello there, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where together, you and I are choosing to do things differently. We are choosing, we are committing to prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships while building a business that creates a meaningful impact in the lives of the people that we love and generating the wealth for us to design a beautiful life on our terms. And I just wanted to take a second to tell you listening right now how grateful I am that you are listening to my voice and that you're taking the time out of your day to expand and grow. Every single week, I'm interviewing amazing humans making a beautiful impact in the world so that I can support you in doing exactly the same. I invest a ton of my personal time in researching and pulling out the best content from these guests because I want you to get their best insights. And it brings me just a ridiculous amount of fulfillment and excitement to be able to do that. And I am so excited to bring to you an incredible, incredible human today. And his name is Brian Bogert. And in this episode, you're going to learn so much, but I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, what happened on August 10th, 1992 at 6:10 PM that changed Brian's life forever. Number two, how you can identify the mental trash that's in your head, the negative thoughts, the narratives that don't make you feel good about yourself, the unserving reactions you have to the things that happen to you and turn that into a strength. And number three, Brian, like a really good coach, he actually turns the tables and actually coaches me on some of my mindsets, which was really, really cool to experience. So you're wondering at this point, most likely, who the heck is this Brian guy? Well, here is his bio. There is a sleeping giant in every human, awakening those giants within and turning them into legends by helping individuals grab what's just out of their grasp is Brian's purpose in life. Brian is a heart surgeon without a blade, and he does not start outside with what you need to do. He starts inside with who you are. In a world that is disconnected, Brian is revolutionizing how individuals, leaders, and entrepreneurs deeply connect with their authentic selves and achieve the best version of themselves. And I can say after this episode that is absolutely true, and I'm super excited to share Brian's content with you. I think I've shared this on the show multiple, multiple times, but I believe my life's purpose is to create a more deeply connected world. And one of the most important components of that, I believe is learning how to connect and love yourself. And Brian is one of those humans that is creating content and helping people to become a better version of themselves. And I think that this is one of my favorite topics of all time is how do you become that true authentic version of you and clear away all the crap that's in the, in the way of being able to do that. So with all that said, I'm super excited for you to listen to this interview with my new friend, Brian Bogert. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the Seven Figure Millennials Podcast. Brian, welcome to the show, my friend. Super excited to have you here. This is going to be so much fun. I already know it. Yeah, Brandon, instant instant connection. It's been a, it's been a long time coming over the waves, but now we're here, and it's going to happen. The universe probably just wasn't ready for us before now. 
For sure, man. Whenever I find all these reschedulings, I find that sometimes the timing is absolutely perfect. And it actually was perfect because I had the opportunity to go through your challenge that you just concluded today, I think. So we'll be we'll be diving into all that magic. Yeah. But I wanted to start with a story, as I usually like to do. And uh, I know you've told us a bunch, but let's let's take everyone back to Phoenix, Arizona. It's August 10th, 1992, 610 p.m. What happens? Well, we walked out of the store that we were in where we had just purchased a one inch paintbrush and we were headed back to our car. And anybody who's known me for more than about two and a half minutes always knows the amount of energy I have. I'm fast. I walk fast. I talk fast. I move. And so at any point in our lives, no one's ever been surprised to know that I was the first one in the car. I just wanted to get back to put that paintbrush to use. My mom and my brother were a few feet behind me. And as I got up to the car to put my hand on the door to get let in, this was back in the days before key fobs. So I had to wait for my mom to literally reach into her purse, grab the key, pull it out, stick it in the door, turn it so that we could get in and go on with our way. And while I was waiting for all of that to happen, there was a truck that pulled up in front of the store we were just in, parked, and the driver and middle passenger got out. Passenger to the right felt the truck moving backwards. So Brandon, he did what any one of us would do, and he scooted over to put his foot on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. Combination of shock and force threw him up on the steering wheel, up on the dashboard. And before you know it, he's catapulting across the parking lot, 40 miles an hour, right at us with no time to react. He hits our car, knocks me over, runs over me diagonally, tearing my spleen, leaving a tire track scar on my stomach, and continuing on to completely sever my left arm from my body. The next thing my mom hears is my brother's voice pointing across the parking lot and saying, Mom, Brian's arm is over there, 10 feet away. I always have to honor the woman who was there that day, who is the reason that I'm here today. And yes, that is my mother always, but there was a nurse that walked out of the store right when this took place. And she saw the literal life and limb scenario that took place in front of her. And so I've always said that I was forever indebted to this woman for her choice to go into action instead of turn her head and go on with her way. And when I met her on the 30th anniversary of the accident in 2021, I actually learned that she had a friend with her that day who did not go into action and turned her head. And I wanna be really clear, I have no hurt feelings towards the woman who turned her, her head. That is within everybody's right. That is your right, that is your decision. No shame or blame from me, but her choice to go into action is the whole reason I'm here. She came over and stopped the bleeding on the maimed wound to ultimately save my life. And she instructed some innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler and fill it with ice to get my detached limb on ice within minutes to ultimately allow me to have a reattached limb. And so that's why I'm here with you today. Otherwise, I'd be here with you with a cleaned up stump or I wouldn't be here at all. And so I know that a lot of your audience probably wasn't expecting it to go there. So I, I really have to say this last piece and then we're just gonna jam into the rest of conversation. I know that I have an extremely unique story. It's impossible for me to live like this for over 30 years, having told it thousands of times and not know how unique it is. That said, though, the more I do this, the longer I've done this, the more I realize that every single one of you has your own unique story. So what's important is that you learn how to pause and raise your level of awareness for the lessons you can extract from your stories so that you can become intentional. And in how do you apply those in your lives moving forward? You have the ability to do that. We all have the ability to do that. And we can all tap into the collective wisdom of other people's stories to shorten our own curve to learning. And so that is what I'm doing today. I'm just trying to get people to move. And regardless of the extremity of their stories, be able to stand in the truth of those stories because that's where their trash and their treasures are buried. So beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I recently interviewed uh, Darius Mershazadeh on the show and he wrote the book, The Core Value Equation. And so I, I've been thinking a lot about my core values. And one of my core values is what I've labeled as conscious storytelling. And I found that, you know, of all the incredible humans I've had the opportunity of meeting, storytelling, both the internal dialogue and the external dialogue that you create is one of the most powerful forces for good, or also if you're, they're not serving you for, for evil. Correct. And so I'd love to just dive into all components of that. But before, before we get there, for those that weren't listening as Brian, or that were listening, but don't see the video, when Brian was telling that story, he held up his arm to show, um, you know, the, the arm that was reattached to his body. And I know you have a, you have a tattoo. And if I remember correctly, it says trust, surrender, breathe. I would love for you to share why you decided yeah. to put that on your arm. So first I want to pause for a second and I want to honor you, Brandon, because I've been on over 500 
podcast. And I don't say that to impress. I say it to impress upon the point, this is not my first rodeo. And already two questions into the way that you've teed up this show, the depth at which you lead on your show, how you frame questions and how you're tying together concepts from the depth of research you've already absorbed is masterful already at this point in the game. And I want you to hear that because it is not often that that type of question is structured in that way. And I just really wanted you to hear that for a second. Thank you. I, I hear that and I receive that, brother. I really appreciate that. Was that was beautiful. Um, trust, surrender, breathe. Uh, I joke it's on my arm because I'm dense and really kind of an idiot in most cases, which means <laughs> I'm also highly visual. And if I don't have a visual reminder of something, I often can be blind to it until it's a part of my rhythm. Uh, this tattoo goes deep. Uh, it, what's re- interesting is they were my words for the year over the course of 2019, 2020, and 2021. It was trust and surrender for 2019, or sorry, 2020, 2021. Sorry, 2019, 2020. And then 2021, it was <laughs> trust, surrender, breathe. Ironically, it shifted to trust, surrender, breathe in that January. And in that April, my wife and I were sitting on the back patio and ultimately led to a discussion that she was for the first time so clearly and articulately able to connect with me and allow me to see that things that I'd done early in our relationship, ways that I showed up still, had created patterns and conditioning in her that had caused her to lose who she was. Mm. This was 18 months after we'd made a decision to execute my buy, sell in my last business and go all in in this world so that I could help everyone get to the core of who they are and live absolutely as who they are. And my number one who? I was responsible for contributing to her losing herself. Now, there's her own trash from her past and there's a lot of other pieces that are involved in that. It's not all me. However, the fact that I was blind to it for so many years when she tried to bring it to my attention to the fact that I had a deep level of anger that I didn't even know existed. Mm. I mean, I'm talking anger buried so deep, brother, it could barely be excavated. And when brought into reality and into fruition, when I actually started owning what this looked like and communicating it out of the world, 99% of people were like, what? You're... You're, you're an angry perp. No. And and every time, but, but even if they didn't associate with me angry, they still could identify that I always had an edge. Right. And so when we discovered this and we unpacked some of the anger and, and we realized what this was, the only thing binary in my world is my wife and kids. That's it. Meaning if, if, if everything we're doing is blowing up in the world, but my wife and my kids aren't good. That I, I shut down everything else and focus where it's needed right at home to stabilize. And now I'm sitting in a position feeling like I'd just been in a place where we were in the best place in our marriage we'd ever been. Both of us said that it was true. Led to this period of awareness that we raised to all of a sudden I'm sitting there within a month, not knowing if I'm going to be married for another month and losing everything I ever cared about because it was those three individuals because of me. So I sat there and I handed my wife my phone and I said, please get with the team, clear my calendar for the next 10 days. I don't want to communicate with anybody. You have ownership of my phone for the next 10 days. I'm going to go inward and I'm going to dig because I need to figure this out fast. And I made a promise to her that day that I was going to do everything in my power to not have the negative effects of anger impact our house as a result of me again, knowing that it would be true, but I'd do everything I could. And I'm proud to say that truly, almost two years later, we... It's not only only happened four or five times, but we have broken generational patterns. We've ripped down the walls and the armor that existed for my wife and I for years. Though we wanted to be open, we hid from each other, right? It's changed the way we interact with our children. And so in that period of time, literally, I went in those 10 days and I tattooed trust, surrender, breathe on my arm. And the whole reason I did that is because I needed a... A, a visual reminder every second that if I trust in this moment that I'm safe, that I'm protected, that I can surrender to like just seeking truth in the moment objectively and non judgmentally. And if I can just center myself in my breath so that I can breathe through the moment and take it one 
moment and one breath at a time, then everything would be okay. Mm. And it pretty much always was when I could do that. And so this saved me in moments of reaction that would have created damage in my house in the first six months, countless times, countless. Mm. Um, and to date, it's the only ink I have on my severed arm. And it's probably the only ink that will ever go on my severed arm, though I'm covered everywhere else. Um, it, it, those three words, we have a saying in our office, it's TSB. It always comes full circle because anything we're going through, if TSB, if we can trust, surrender and breathe, typically we move through it. Yeah. I want to zoom into one component of what you said there that was just so powerful. And I just love, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. And I just think that it's, it shows, it shows not tells the level of depth that you go to in your discovery. And I shared with you before, and my listeners will know, I, I say this quote all the time, just because I see it everywhere. Uh, I saw, uh, well, actually there's two of them. One of them I didn't mention to you before, Brian, is by Michelangelo actually. And it's, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. And I just think that it's such a beautiful representation of the journey that we're all on is like sometimes you have to take a sledgehammer to knock off a gigantic chunk of marble but sometimes it's that fine tooth yeah. teeny little scalpel that's getting out those little details and it sounds like even though you've done all this transformational work on yourself that you had this 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 thing that lived there that you didn't know needed to be pulled out and you said that you went in a super deep spot you cleared your calendar so and i'm sure this will kind of plant the seeds for how people can start to do this but i would love for you to maybe share in that period of 10 days where you were looking, what were, what was the mental dialogue? Like, how were you uncovering? Cause you, your wife showed you the surface level of the problem, but you had to go deep to uncover what it was. So what were yeah. some of the exercises, thoughts that you were doing to kind of do that work when you were kind of in that period? Yeah. So I, over the period of the prior couple of years had just discovered that I had been dealing with shame for a very long time that I had shut off emotion for about 25 years of my life. Cause when I shut off physical pain, I also shut off emotional pain, right? When it exceeded my ability to cope. And uh, there's a whole lot that, that goes into all of that. But the reason I tell you where I was at in that time, in that moment, what we were doing, it, it was on the tail end of like five years of already pretty aggressive digging through the trash from my past. And, and having gotten rid of a lot of it, but frankly, still being blind to some. And I love that analogy too of the, the big chunks and the fine tuning, because, you know, I often say that we're born as our most authentic version of ourselves. And 100%. then, you know, through so many other pieces that I can expand on later, we end up developing layers of armor for all the layers of pain that we feel inside. And mm -hmm. so all it really becomes is a process of shedding more and more layers of all of that armor that we've put in a place to protect ourselves against narratives that don't exist. Mm -hmm. And so, or, or aren't real, if we're actually honest with ourselves and can tune into the fine tuning between our narratives. And so in that 10 days, a lot of what I did is what I teach, right? I had to go into deep levels of awareness. I now was aware that I was dealing with something that I didn't understand. I needed to learn about anger. I needed to know what it looked like, how it felt in my body. What did it show up as? Right. I needed to move myself to a position of ownership because I had created so much damage that I had to be able to own the fact that I was blind to anger for 14 years in my marriage. That I created damage in my wife and my kids unintentionally because I didn't know it was there. Now, what I had to also get to was a place of forgiveness because what I had to recognize the trash from my past was not my fault in most cases but it is my responsibility once I become aware of it. And so I then had to learn how to take ownership in those moments and seek to create repair where I had created damage or where I created damage real time, right? So I started meeting with all of our friends and our family and just telling them, guys, this is what I'm becoming aware of right now. I wanted you to hear it. If you've ever been on the receiving end of this because I was so blind to it, I wanna make sure that you know, I'm sorry. It was not my intent, but I'm now realizing that this is how I was coming across. and. And I'm sorry if I ever hurt you. And I'm asking you to hold me accountable to this path that I'm telling you I'm on as well, because I'm telling you that everything in my life is on the line right now, right? Then I had to really unpack. And unpacking for me is I had to really sit in those emotions. I had to sit in the shame that I felt, the blame, the disconnection, the isolation, the fear of losing everything that I cared about right there. I didn't know, like truly, I didn't know if I'd be married a month from that conversation. It was that bad. And 
that's all I care about. So it allowed me to like really go deep and start to understand like where were some of the sources of this anger? Because by the way, for me, and it's actually true for everybody, anger is armor. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's not even a primary emotion. Anger is typically armor protecting something, an insecurity, a pain, a, whatever it is, it's armor. And it's designed to push people away literally like armor and a force field, okay? So I had to unpack. I had to sit in it. I had to understand what those painful existences in my body physiologically were pointing me towards in terms of where I needed to look. What were the stories I needed to unpack? What were the feelings I hadn't paid attention to? What were the narratives that were being tied to all this that was co causing me to be in such a protective state? Now, I'll tell you, I was given a gift that week that doesn't happen often, but I have to believe that just because I am in alignment and I, it was a gift that I was open to receive. It might not sound like a gift when I tell you this, but in the process of unpacking, four days after this conversation, I had dropped my kids off at school and was driving home. And as I was driving home, <clears throat> I came across a pedestrian accident where a kid had just been run over by a car in the middle of the road in front of a school. No way. Yeah. And... um for obvious reason, you can see how that triggered me and transported me to a different place. I started to receive a lot of information in that moment. I was very aware of the emergency vehicles that were getting on site. I was very aware of all the parents that were now on the ground checking on this kid. I was aware of the, the driver and all these innocent bystanders that were standing there. And I just felt like I was absorbing and processing multiple perspectives, like real time. And I, I, I had probably my first actual panic attack. I was driving, but I was less than five minutes from home. And I, um, I got home and my wife, I was in tears, which doesn't happen often, uh, immediately wrapped me in love and just held me for about an hour while I just shook and cried. Like I couldn't control it. It was just like a download of information. And I just started cycling through a lot of things that I'd never seen before. And it allowed me to really get clear on my anger pretty quickly. Now, that didn't mean it went away because it was deeply patterned. But I got the ability to go deep in unpacking, um, not only through intention, but by happenstance that was okay. Now, I want to say the kid is okay. They didn't have any injuries. Like, so anybody that I wanted to make sure I closed that loop on the story there, like it was a traumatic situation and how I experienced it and for everybody involved, but the kid is okay. No injuries. So that was, that was a big positive. Um, but then I just really had to start putting myself in those moments, right? Where I had to then start to be able to flip my lid and be honest with myself by what's risen to the top in moments where I would be reactionary because I can recreate patterns in the moment. But that's how I had to learn to move is that ultimately in those 10 days, my number one focus, because I didn't think I'd be able to unpack as effectively and as quickly as I did. Um, my number one focus is I need to understand how anger moves in my body. I need to understand how it moves through my world. And I need to understand how to move through it. And so I just really, really started paying attention to anytime I felt edge, protection, anger, like allowing myself to understand what that felt like in my body physiologically, right? Like my heartbeat would increase. I'd, I'd actually feel my chest puff or I'd shrink down in other situations. I had to know what anger looked like and how it moved in my body for me to be able to be aware of it in moments. Otherwise it takes over. And so once I could do that, shame moves through my body five or six different ways and anger moves through my body five or six different ways. But once I can get really physiologically specific and in my body, I can be aware of what's going on. And then I can see how it moves through my world, i.e. the things that trigger me into anger, right? Like I get sensory overload really quickly. If I'm not paying attention or I'm deep in mode, my son who has impulse control issues and is on the autism spectrum can come and jump on my back and put me into a complete state of like edge. Now, that could create anger that I'm not even angry at my son for, but it's a trigger response. And that's the energy he feels, whether it's directed to him or not. Yeah. And so I have to know all the things that trigger me, like the dogs barking and stuff that like puts me into that state because I have to own, I'm in a heightened state in those moments until I get myself back to neutral. Because when I can start to pattern how it moves in my body, how it moves in my world, then I've got a map for knowing how to move through it in those moments by reclaiming things that might've looked different. So I'll give you a one example. And then I know I'll, I'll, I'll be done with this, this portion of my thought. You know, I say often that my wife used to ask me a question as simple as, Hey honey, what are we going to do with the kids this weekend? And my shame filter would cause me to hear it this way. Hey honey, you've not done enough to be and show us that you're a good husband and father recently. So what are you going to do to make up for it this weekend? which would then cause anger to move through my body, me to elevate, me to get defensive. And I rattled off the 10 things I've done in the last four days to show her I was a good husband and father, right? Because it was so about defending and protecting. But now I've just created a ripple effect of damage. 
by being able to move in the moment, I can understand what's moving, how it's moving. And I can reclaim by saying, hey, babe, I'm not sure I heard you correctly because I'm feeling really triggered right now. Can you please restate what you just said? And I can hopefully hear it through a more clear lens. And if not, maybe we can pause and we can revisit this later. No damage. Mm -hmm. Completely different paradigm. And I had to really be able to go through that. Holy shit. <laughs> There's so man. So I would love to unpack as much of this as we can to equip people with this, with this, with the rest of the time that we have. Um, because what you just said was just so, so powerful. And I, I, the, the one gigantic pin I'm going to put in is like, I want to make sure we get to the body feeling component of it. Cause I think it's really important. It's funny. Uh, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. I, this is going to seem like a non sequitur, but you know, what sucks is frozen. I fucking hate that song in Frozen when it's like, they have that song. It's like the lyric conceal don't feel or whatever. I'm like, why are you teaching kids this shit? And so like what you, <laughs> by the way, I is, couldn't agree with you fucking more. <laughs> Gosh, and I've got a little girl that loved Frozen. And I was like, no, <laughs> I was like, well, who, who wrote this in here? This is the biggest anyway. So there's, there's my teeny little rant of the day, but you know, the, the one thing that you said there was like making sure that you feel it instead of uh, suppressing it. So I, I, um, I want to get there, but before we get there, let's, let's set this up a little bit for people because they've heard your story and I'm sure lots of people listening could kind of see themselves inside of your story, whatever it is that they're going through, whatever their narratives are. Um, so that's super, super powerful, but let's, let's make it like crystal clear for our friends hanging out with us today. Like what are the ways that they can identify their their stuff and then unpack it. So uh, I know you're, you've, you've had an incredibly successful career, but one of the things you do today is you're a garbage man. <laughs> so I would love for you to share what that means when you say you're a garbage man and kind of talk a little bit about trash. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, the thing is, is like, we've gotten really, really clear on the fact that the singular thing that keeps people stuck and the language used to be different, but it, it's not the strategy and tactics that people think, right? I mean, how often, and this is why there's so many seven step systems for success out there and so many like ways to buy into programs on things that don't really create any different results is because people look to strategy and tactics for solutions. I want to be really clear. Strategy and tactics are critically important in your business and life, critically important, but that's not the reason you're stuck and it never will be. It is always the trash from your past. And so it's those things that you've avoided, you've tried to ignore, weren't there, you thought you had put into a little box hidden up on the top shelf or absolutely buried in a way that it would never resurface, yet it continues to come back as your fatal flaw. It continues to be the one thing that shows up in your life that makes you feel scarce, unloved, disconnected, isolated, depressed, alone. Anything that is that negative spectrum of emotions is what we call trash. It's tied to the emotional triggers from your past that were created in moments, good or bad, that shaped narratives and patterns in your life. And the trash from your past are those things that are unpacked or unprocessed that are literally causing you to either protect through your trash or not be able to see yourself clearly through your trash in a way that's taking you further and further away from who you are, your best self. And so... As we started shifting a lot of our language, this has been done with the effort of a team and individuals that happened. We landed on this concept of taking out your trash because it's an analogy that we all understand, right? If you imagine that you've got a trash can in your kitchen, let's just assume the kitchen in your house. What do you do when it gets full? Well, you might push it down once or twice, but that doesn't last very long, right? Well, what do you do when it's full? Take it out. And also the other day we put in, I, I kind of uh, had a conversation with my wife the other day. She threw away some old broccoli that we found in the back of the fridge that I was like, why did you just throw it away? It's a, it's a brand. <laughs> anyway, so we had some stinky garbage, but yeah, sometimes it needs to get taken out as soon as possible, especially as the stinky stuff gets in there first. <laughs> no doubt. Right. And so it's interesting because in a trash can, you can literally just grab the bag and take it out if you choose to. But in the fridge, sometimes it's like, man, where is that stink coming right. from? You got to dig a little <laughs> bit. Right. And and both, both are true, but if you don't take it out every day, the can can only hold so much. So it's going to start to overflow, right? If you don't take it out every day, the trash has to have somewhere to go. It's going to start filling up your kitchen, which is going to impact your ability to get healthy nutrition, to have communion and connection, the ability to like actually have nourishment, right? Because that's what our kitchens can provide for us in so many cases. But if the trash is in the way, it's kind of hard to get there. But now it's going to start going down the hallways and filling up your living room and your family room and your dining room 
impacting all those other places that you might connect, creating further isolation and disconnection, right? And then it starts going down your hallway. It goes into your kids' rooms. And how many people during the pandemic put a home in their business or a business in their home, mm -hmm. right? You don't think it's going to come into your business, the way that you operate, the way that you're doing your job? Definitely that trash, if you don't take it out, it's going to pile up. It will fill every hallway and every crevice in your home. And so I'm not saying this through the proverbial element of like, you're the can. No, you're the house. It's up to you to identify and take out the trash from your past that no longer serves you or the trash that you get buried in from others or the trash that comes into your world on a regular and consistent basis. And so that was the first thing I had to wrestle with when we started with this language around taking out your trash, which is so connected to everything I believe because the deeper we dig, right? The more we can release and discover, right? So many people feel this very clear description of just heaviness, right? They're like, I just feel heavy all the time right? They can't catch their breath. They're like, I just want to, I can't breathe. Well, it's because the longer we carry the trash from our past, the more it incrementally crushes us yeah. and the more stinky it gets. And so we have to do this regularly and consistently. And I had to wrestle with the fact that I was going to become known as the garbage man someday. <laughs> if we're going to go hard on this path, I'm going to have to be known as the garbage man. And I had to work through trash from my past to stand in that and be totally okay with that. Would be the garbage. <laughs> I love that. I love it. And I know you just said this, but I just love that the fact that you're using this makes people understand that it's a constant process. Like there, you don't just take out the trash once and never have to take out trash ever again. That it's like you're on a daily or weekly basis, yeah. you're, you're excavating, you're digging and you're, you're, you're doing it consistently. So I love, I love it. And I, I'm glad that you're, you've taken on the persona of the garbage man. Cause I think <laughs> we, we, we need a solid garbage man like you in, in our lives. So let's, let's start helping people to, to do this excavation. I know a really, really powerful exercise that you have that helps people to do this. Uh, you call it the lifeline EKG. So how can we start to use that as a, as a way to uncover some of the trash in our lives? Yeah. So, I mean, at the very highest level, the lifeline EKG, I just want people to be able to look down at a piece of paper, draw a dot on the center of the paper horizontally with your birth and put a horizontal line across it, which is then your lifeline up to current. And if all you were able to do is to be able to plot the dots above and below the line that were impactful, you have memories, positive or negative, you truly can start to understand that your life has a natural rhythm and a natural heartbeat. Sometimes you're higher on, above the line, sometimes you're lower below the line, oftentimes it's gonna connect out. But what I believe is that both our trash and our treasure are typically buried in those most impactful moments. That doesn't mean that you can find them just by looking. Sometimes you need a guide to help you excavate and get there. But the reality of it is, is it will get you a lot closer to where you need to be if you can view your life through that type of a lens. The number one rule that I want people to pay attention to though with any of this, because the number one failure point for most people raising their level of awareness is they just become more aware of all the ways they should be judging themselves. The first thing I want you to hear is that the trash from your past is not your fault. Most of the time it's generationally patterned inherited and it's so deeply behaviorally and environmentally conditioned into you that most of the trash from your past you probably have never even been aware of mm -hmm. it does become your responsibility once you become aware of it or once you start burying other people in your trash because you can no longer contain it and so pay attention to the fact that if you can view these points and the trash from your past objectively and non-judgmentally but from a position of what are the narratives, what are the feelings that are tied to these moments and what are the patterns that maybe were developed as a result of them? It starts you really down a path of self-discovery with a lot more empathy and grace and a pretty big reminder of all you've already been through. But it also will give you the roadmap to be able to identify not just the trash you need to identify and take out, but the treasure that's been buried and formed from all your trash treasure. Because truly, our treasures are formed in those same moments. Some of my greatest gifts, some of my greatest skill sets come directly from the same things that cause my anger. I have to recognize that and give myself the ability to see it that way so that I can use it for good, as you say, around consciousness and efforts collectively in the world. I want to dig into one small component of what you said there, which is just so good. One project that I've done recently, and I've shared this multiple times on the show, but I, I took it upon myself to interview my grandparents and then interview my parents as well to kind of just see that stuff. Cause like, you know, it's like that classic 
fish swimming in water and they're it. swimming and then the old one comes by and is like how's the water boys and the the, the other fish are like what's water <laughs> you know so it's like I, I wanted to see from an external perspective how this was generation generationally passed down to me and one of the things that i uncovered recently is when my grandpa on my on my dad's side so the chinese side he came over he was nine years old when he came to this country and like his childhood was like filled with war and you know trying to come over to this country so he was like he had a good reason for being worried and potentially dying and not coming over here. And so he passed that on to my dad and my dad, we kind of make fun of him for being a little bit of a worry wart sometimes, but then it's like, I have that too, <laughs> but it's like, it came from, it came from probably before my, my grandpa oh. as well, but it's like, it's, it's really cool to have. I would encourage anybody, if you have the opportunity to do that, whether you intend to publish the interview at all, but like just seeing that, generationally passed down to you and that not necessarily being yours, but it's your responsibility to deal with once yeah. you become aware of it is super powerful. So <laughs> I love that you're doing that brother. Like that's so critical and key. Um, you know, I will tell you, I, both my wife and I have sat down with both sides of our parents and done pretty love extensive that. conversations around those things. Um, and, and that's what we were able to tie is a lot of the stuff that we deal with is two to three generations old. And that's as far back as we could look. So yeah. You know that that we were limited only based on 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 as far back as we could look. But I love that you did that, not only for your own benefit, but because I can already tell by the way you interview that you actually were able to highlight them in a really strong way to honor what they've been through and what they've created for you, and do it in a way that also allows through the empathy and grace and the space that you held for them to feel safe talking to you about this in a format that is going to be public, which particularly on the Asian culture, it is not necessarily traditional, and so. Yeah. And I don't say that like I have any knowledge, but I want to honor you for that. The very first episode of my podcast, I interviewed my wife because I, I figured if I'm going to flip the lid on other people's worlds, we need to be able to do the same on ours. And I think that it's it's truly demonstrated in just the way you operate. Dude, I'll have to go listen to those. I'll, I'll bet they're fascinating. I, I appreciate it. The, actually, I didn't intend to publish them. My grandpa was like really adamant about like, make sure it doesn't get published. And so I, I want to honor that, but I'd be happy to, <laughs> I'd be happy oh, to. They, oh, well, then if it didn't chat, get published, then don't give it to me. That's okay. I got you. <laughs> But, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was a super, super powerful exercise. And, um, yeah, I would just encourage anybody, if you have that opportunity to see that and do that, it is huge. There was some, there was one other thing I was going to say, but I, I, I totally lost it. So it'll probably come back in a little bit. So, um, oh, that's what it was. I think uh, a guest had shared this with me and I think it was super relevant and it's just a great visual for this. It's that like most of us are used to updating our iPhones or whatever it is that you're using and it's on iOS 14 or I don't even know what the hell it is these days, but it's like most of us are running on our mental OS, mental operating system of like seven generations ago. You have to upgrade your, <laughs> your software, uh, but it, it, it takes that uh, awareness of it, which is actually uh, one of the first stages that people can use to uncover their trash. So talk a little bit about awareness. Now that people are, this is kind of tickling some people's brains, maybe they've gone through and they paused and they took the point on the piece of paper and did some of the EKGs yeah. that are thinking about some of these patterns. So talk to us a little bit about the, the maybe the stages that we can go through you, and we you, want to you, unpack You willing this. to play ball a little bit on this? If but, maybe yeah, hell I yeah, dude. A couple of direct questions. Yeah, and we do can it. Throw me, throw me of... in. Throw me into All the right. cage, man. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do this. All right. So I'll hit what awareness is first. And then I'll, I'll, I'll just ask you the question that I would leave everybody with on this moment anyway. Um, look, you cannot be intentional with what you're unaware of. Period. End of story. Right. And I know definitively, and this connects to even your favorite quote, the number of people who complain that they have no influence or control over their lives, their destinies, that it's just fate, that it just happens to them, yet they're largely living in the unconscious because our minds process 11 million bits of information per second, but we're only consciously aware of about 40. So until we go through a systematic process of moving the unaware to the aware, the unconscious to the conscious, guess what? You're going to remain stuck because you won't be able to see things clearly. And typically it's gonna be stuck in the muck and yuck from the trash from your past, because that's what's literally going to be right up in front of you, even if you can't see it or smell it. And so awareness is really about being aware of the fact that you do have trash from your past. Everyone does. And potentially aware at the beginning level of where and how it's impacted you. Because again, you can't do anything about it or get yourself unstuck or moving if you are lacking awareness. So one of the greatest places to see and test, is there actually, right, trash from your past, Brandon, who was the last person that made you feel like garbage? Uh, I had a call earlier. Well, I don't know. 
I don't know if I would say garbage, but earlier today I had somebody that was introduction and he uh, didn't show up for the call. And then I emailed him and he says, I'm on now, but it was like 15 minutes after we were supposed to start. Uh, so that made me not feel the best. Uh, that was one from today. <laughs> uh, do you want a deeper, more, no, more trashy I, I, let's example? use that one. Let's just use that one for a second. Okay. Cause it's a great example, right? Because what does that say? It says, well, I respect other people's times. It's a little bit disrespectful. It was a complete gap of awareness from this individual. I prioritized my time. And why was I not worthy enough to get the communication ahead of time and be able to sit in a position where I could, we could have some reciprocal demonstration of value, which was what it was intended to be, right? 100%. So just yep. call it what it is. And, and again, I know nothing about this guy. All that points to you is, okay, there's some trash from my past because I reacted to something right? In a way that made me feel protective of something, right? And, and whether I have a fundamental belief on it's a standard to show up on time or not is almost irrelevant because the reality of it is that that's what you felt, okay? So I want to take you a step further because we'll get through this and kind of move through this, but we'll just play ball for a little bit because yeah. I also weaved in the five pillars in my answer to trust, surrender, breathe, because it is about aware, own, right? Unpack, flip the lid and move. And we'll unpack them at a brief level. But you know that we've got resources that people really want to get deep on it. So let's yep. play ball with you. Okay. So here's what it is. How did that feel in your body? So I've, I've ever since I heard you talking about this, I've started thinking about this. So for me, it shows up here. It's like, it's like, I feel this tension in my eyebrows. And it's funny because it actually appears in my dad the same way. Cause when my dad's worrying, my mom will jokingly kind of come up to him and like massage his, <laughs> massage his eyebrows. Like, what are you doing? But like, I feel it, I feel it there. I think I also feel uh, in the back of my neck a little bit, like a pressure in the back of my neck. So I think those are two ways that I've noticed in my body uh, that have been triggered through worry or, or, or some okay. other component as well. So I don't know if it's necessarily that, but yeah. No, no, no. That's so, okay. So that, I'll, I'll accept that as the answer. Okay. So now you've, you've raised a little bit of awareness that there's some trash there, right? Yep. We don't quite know all the ways that it's been impacted. I'm trying to get you into your body a little bit. We'll move into ownership and unpacking as we do that. Um, you have a tension here in your forehead, right? And you also have tension back here in your neck. Mm -hmm. Does anything happen below the, the neck? Um, sometimes like lower back. Um, I, I feel like a little bit of pressure in the lower back as well. I'd say that's okay. probably the other point. And I'd, I'd, have, I'd have to sit and meditate on this a little bit more, but at the top Which of my head, fine. I would say Which that is that's, fine. Yeah. that's okay. I'm just trying to see what you're aware of today. Okay. That's okay. Yep. In this exact moment, that's what you're aware of. I accept that. that there's no shame or blame and beyond that. I just, that's mm -hmm. what you're there. Okay. Here's what I want to point out. And, and I'm going to be really cautious in the way I say this, because I never like to say things that are, um, culturally assumptive, but Mm -hmm. Asian culture is not one that demonstrates a lot of emotion. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and I can say that relatively consistently, and it's not always dependent just on country, but it's, it's, that's where it's not known for showing a lot of emotion. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's interesting is your physiological response is a tiny little way that you reflect externally in your head and the tension up here, which is literally holding back your thoughts, your minds, your everything. And the tension you carry in the back of your neck, which is literally like, the armor that has cut off your ability to feel and it's all intellectual and up here mm. right i say that with zero criticism mm -hmm. i say that with complete just understanding that it's like oh well geez if that's what my physiological response is and it is so deeply conditioned when this when he didn't show for the call how quickly did you experience that pretty quickly and what happened over the 15 minutes as you continued to wait I was, I mean, I started typing out an email that I realized probably wasn't the best to send. So I edited it and I just said, Hey man, like I'm leaving. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and then he sent me an email back. It was like, yeah, I'm coming on now. I'm like, I'm not coming back on the call. Like you didn't, right. you didn't give me a heads up, but anyways, right. yeah, that's what happened. So you felt it build a little bit to a point that you decided, okay, I'm going to take action. Your mm -hmm. first action was a reaction, right? Mm -hmm. And it was, I'm going to send an email that I'm going to tell this guy what's up. And like, I'm going to make sure that he knows and I'm going to do it in a tactful way because I'm a strong communicator. I'm not going to be a dick, but I'm going to make yeah. sure he knows, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then you pulled some of it back, okay? Which was you being able to real-time flip your lid in the moment and recognize that it's going to create damage. You took mm -hmm. ownership by reading your own words versus just hitting send. And so what I want to grace for you is, again, I'm not taking you down a path, but I'm trying to demonstrate for your audience. Absolutely. You do have trash, right? You can be aware and own in the same place that I just took you because what you just did, it's like, no, I can own the fact that, yeah, this type of reaction or when somebody's not timely or they waste my time or they don't see my value or they don't see and understand me or 
da 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 right? Just being a basic kind human being as well sometimes is one of those basic measures because you're like, mm-hmm. really? But, but you're aware of it. You're owning the fact that it's had impact in your life. You, I already know based on the fact that you're like, I'm going to meditate on that. I'm going to get a little bit deeper. And I can tell by the way you talk are going to sit in that next phase of being able to unpack. Mm-hmm. See, what's cool in ownership is you didn't create any damage in that reaction because you changed it. So you may reschedule, you may not. But had you sent the first email, you might've created damage that you would mm-hmm. have had to own and seek repair through. Yeah. Which would prohibit future growth in both that relationship and yourself. Now in the unpack stage, it's sit in that. Sit in that emotion a little bit longer. Take it deeper and meditate. When did I learn to cut off emotion at the neck? When did mm-hmm. I stop feeling physiologically in my actual body and start living in my head? What's interesting is I would tell you that you're highly emotional, yet you're extremely intellectual in the way that you process everything. Hmm. And so I say that with, again, with no criticism, but like, I feel your heart in the way that you operate and lead, but I would guess that there've been many times in your life that you haven't been seen and understood and you haven't been connected because they haven't known your real intent because for whatever reason, it wasn't delivered in a way that they were capable of receiving, or you weren't in a place to be able to deliver it in a way that aligned with your heart. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had, uh, I had another guest on the show that did uh, another amazing kind of flip the script, teach simultaneously. This is, this is amazing. I love this. These are, these are really, really fun. Resume, very, by the way? very, oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. These are, these are, right. these are incredible. So I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit more. This other person that profiled me is a language profiler. So he, he could tell how you think by the, the words that you use. And so that he, he reflected something very similar to me. He's like, you're 90, 10, and I'm pointing 90 to my head, 10 to my, 10 to my heart. And he's like, you need to flip it and be more 90, 90, 10. So I've been more intentional about communicating more from the heart, but like my, the, uh, I, you know, as I do the lifeline EKG, a uh, big thing that came up from me and it kind of like around the middle school. And I've shared this story plenty of times, but I grew up on the free lunch program in school in a school district where it was lots of wealthy kids. So it's like, I, and I was literally at a Panera the other day in this neighborhood. And it's like, I watched this 16 year old get out of his Audi, <laughs> you know, that his parents gave to him. And I was the one kid in that school district that was embarrassed by chills, bro. the free lunch. Yeah, exactly. So like, I've shared that story. A ton, I bought but, my like, first I, car I, and my best friend got a 750 or 750 BMW when she was 16. I was like, <laughs> like I paid four grand for a 20 year old junker. So anyway, deep appreciation. Keep going, brother. No, well, no. So I mean, I so I've I've done. You know, it's so cool about this work because it's like it's never done. It goes back to that like carving and stuff like that. But but um, making those correlations and being aware that it's tied to very similar emotions. That's another thing I actually realized recently. Um, I interviewed Gay Hendricks, who wrote the book The Big Leap. Um, and then I also uh-huh. uh, had on. Michael Haig, who's a Hollywood storytelling legend, and two things kind of overlapped in my brain that I didn't realize, but they both talk about, from an external story perspective from Michael Haig, there's like four main narratives that all stories are about. There's only like four, and I'm not going to remember all of them. And then also in The Big Leap, Gay Hendricks was talking about those four subconscious narratives. So it's like, all I'm saying this because I think at the end of the day, we all think we're special snowflakes, but they're all like similar, the same emotions. We're just processing them differently. So yep. uh, I, and you're very masterful and you're coaching, you're teaching. I'm also doing the same thing for you listening right now. It's like, you know, whatever, whether it was free lunch program, whether it was sexual trauma, you know, or, or, or you're like, as you say, I think you heard an example before of like your, your grandfather looking at you because you unloaded the dishes incorrectly yeah. when you were four, like everybody's got their yeah. versions of this shit. And so to me, I love this work. So, <laughs> and so, so thank you for being willing to unpack some of that stuff. And again, that's what oh, I was trying to honor for you is it's obvious that you've already sat in a bunch of it. Mm -hmm. Um, what I'm, and I would agree, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge a little bit of that 90, 10 flip. I think you may need to force yourself to do that for a period of time to really understand the rhythm and how to tap into that narrative. But Mm -hmm. I am actually really a big believer of us. Every one of us is hardwired intellectually or emotionally first. And we have to first understand how we are wired to operate and receive information in the world and be able to tap into and balance and regulate between both our intellectual and our emotional narratives Mm -hmm. because they both lie to us and they both can be true. And so for me, just a great example and what I mean by that is, look, my son is deeply emotional, but he processes and thinks to feel. Mm -hmm. My daughter feels everything and has to feel it long enough to form thought. Yep, that's how my wife is. I'm going to penetrate into either one of their worlds I have to enter through my son's head to get him to open his heart because that's where he needs the help. And my daughter, I have to start with heart and then open her to her mind 
because that's mm. where she moves. Mm. And so in the same reflection to you, I would say that 90-10 would put you in a rhythm to understand it. But I'm never going to tell anybody what their ratio should be. Mm -hmm. I think that it is more about finding your natural integration and being able to understand the narrative so that you can think about your thinking, think about your feeling, feel your thinking and feel your feeling in any given moment. Cause that's where you create freedom in your life is to become mm -hmm. the observer and their participant real time. So when yeah. you unpack, that's where you start to move to flip the lid. We say on the unpack, it's a deep scan of the can. It's where you're literally digging with the sole intent of finding, right? Mm -hmm. If flip the lid, it's to scan your can really to just see what's risen to the top in the moment, right? Did I react to something Brandon said? Am I protecting something? Am I being defensive? Am I coming across with an edge? Like what might've triggered that so that I can reclaim those moments? Because again, it's one breath and one moment and I can trust, surrender and breathe and realize that I can get clarity in this moment just by restating my, my truth. Mm. And flipping the lid is about where we create ownership. It's about where we're starting to be able to re- form those conversations like I gave with my wife, where whether it's a boss, a coworker, a business partner of, of, of an intimate relationship, where and how do you own your truth while understanding and seeking their perspective to be able to actually find what's true for both of you? Yeah. I, and when you can do that, you move, bro. And that's the last yeah. step. It's all about movement. That's amazing. I just, I think the biggest thing that I think everybody could take away and it's, it's a constant reminder of this. It's like, I think the example that you pulled from the very beginning of this part of the conversation about like, what was somebody that made you feel like trash? It's like, you know, everything from somebody cutting you off in traffic to, to somebody missing a phone call to, you know, what garbage thinking. And it like, it missed it. Like those are all opportunities to see like why you felt that way and kind of uncover. And so I think it's beautiful that you have this process that allows people to move through all of this. And I'm being mindful of our time. I want to be respectful of your time. There's one component I want to drill deeper and then we can kind yeah. of start wrapping up. Cause I think I said in the beginning, the thing that I think I, I I've studied this stuff a decent amount. And, and the, the part that I haven't found yet is what you're bringing to the table about how your body experiences it. And so you, you mentioned before, kind of briefly in passing that shame moves through your body in six different ways, anger moves through your body in those different, kind of different ways. So I, I'm just kind of curious if we can zoom in a little bit here about when you say it moves through your body in those different ways, when you're experiencing it, how does that inform what you do moving forward? Or how can we get clearer on all the different yeah, types of ways? That's a great question. Uh, that's a great question. You know, I often, when I often ask someone what they, what did they feel in their body in that time? They're like, oh, I felt anger. I felt frustration. I felt empty, right? They label it with a descriptor and an emotion, but don't actually pay attention to the patterns of your physiological response of fight or flight. Right. Right. And there are things that cause us to fight or flight for a variety of reasons. And you, I'm sure came across this with the depth of research you did, but the world literally tells us to reduce, eliminate, or avoid pain at all costs, right? And it makes sense because it's a natural evolutionary response to survival. Mm -hmm. But to your point, what you didn't have to deal with like your grandpa did, right? A hundred years ago, you cut your leg, you could die, right? Right? At any given moment today, at least in most first world countries where there is access to some form of healthcare, most people are not in, at risk of that from a minor scrape or burn, right? And so if we can start to recognize that, it means that we also have to pay attention to the fact that we are in fight or flight all the time, but until you can understand what it looks like real time in your body, you can't escape it. So I'll give you two examples of shame so that somebody can understand the contrast, mm -hmm. okay? Shame for me has shown up in, again, five or six different ways. The two most common are, I feel a physiolog physiological response where I start to shrink down I bite my tongue. I feel tension in my throat. My heart starts to race. Now, what that's associated to is me feeling like I'm not being seen and understood, like I'm being shamed for being too loud or talking too fast, right? It, it might look like I'm not really feeling connected or safe in that environment. And I feel like I'm being judged. So I'm protecting everything else behind that that I care about. So I, I literally shrink physiologically. On the inverse, if I'm into a position where I need to defend or I'm challenged or someone's actually in an active conversation, not like a passive aggressive shaming comment that might cause me to shrink, but like just a dialogue with my wife, like that interaction with her about the kids, 
The reality of it is that shame also moves through my body by causing me to puff my chest, by feeling mm. my shoulders roll back. So Heart rate still beats, but I don't feel the tightness in my chest. I don't feel myself shrink. In fact, I feel a burning, raging fire that literally my neck and face could turn red if I get hit in the right way. Like I literally feel like the, my blood pressure climbing. I feel the heat and the warmth start. Again, I'm not describing an emotion. I'm describing the literal physiological response in my body. Now, when I can understand what that looks like and I can tie it to an emotion and I can have rehearsed it and understood it and understood that this is how I always react in this situation. This is how I always feel in this physiological situation. Then it allows you to be in your body enough to know that when you're in line at Starbucks and someone cuts you off unintentionally, but you're running late yourself, you can take a breath and not have to get angry or react at the person and realize that that might be tied to the fact that your dad was always late at picking you up on his weekends for having you over childcare. Again, I made that up. But point is, is like, that's what understanding the physiological response in your body is. Most people describe it as an emotion, but almost everybody has narratives tied to whatever they say they felt. And so part of us getting in the moment is to be able to know what's triggered us, how it moves in our world, right? How it physiologically responds in our body, because that's the only way we can center in the moment to start to see what's true. And then we can start to challenge, well, what are the emotional and intellectual narratives that are tied to this reaction? Oh, I'm not safe that somebody's going to abandon me, that I'm never going to be able to make enough money, that I'm, I'm going to get fired from my job, that I'm going to be held to an unfair stand, I mean, any number of things, right? But understand that so often when people describe what they felt, they tell you what their thought patterns are and what they're thinking about it. They're not telling you what they feel. I want people to feel because it's the only way to heal. And so we have to get in our bodies so that we can feel these things, so that we can understand these things, so that, oh, by the way, you no longer have to be stuck. Mm. You know, uh, it, I brought up Gay Hendricks before. It, uh, he wrote the book, uh, The Big Leap, and he also wrote the book, um, The Genius Zone. I think this is the second one. But I printed out this graphic that I, like, made for him. But, like, one of the things that was so brilliant about it, th what you're saying reminds me exactly of what he shared. Because he talks about if you have a worry thought, one of the parts of his step is look for a body feeling. Um, but the thing that's really interesting is he he intentionally says get excited and curious like like as something happens it's like hmm it's pointing you toward what, what's important. what's what's coming through like because 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 yeah. if you're feeling this you can actually do a jujitsu flip and like turn it into a greater awareness of like right. uncovering treasure as well if you if you sit with that so i love that's, that that's Man. literally all i'm trying to get people to do is to be able to flip open their lid and just see what's risen to the top you don't have to judge it right just understand it because yeah. truly, if there is pain, if there is resistance, if there's negative emotion, again, any negative emotion that makes you feel like trash means you have trash from your past that hasn't been taken out. And if you ever exist in that space of negative emotion, that's all I'm asking you to do. Just take a look at where it's coming from because it's pointing you right towards where you need to focus mm -hmm. every time if you're willing to look and stand in your yep. truth. Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent. So cool. I mean, there's the, the four stages of learning and the first stage is unconscious incompetence. So hopefully we took a bunch of people into understanding that and like that, that in and of itself is a massive gift to be given. So I appreciate you so much, Brian. Um, I would love to ask a final concluding question. Then we can find out where people can figure out where to support you and yep. all your incredible work, but what does happiness mean to you today, Brian? You know, Happiness, I think, is fleeting. And happiness, I think, is often a choice. Whereas joy, I think, comes from the soul. Hmm. And so happiness to me means I can choose to be happy and experience this life positively, or I can use happiness as a mask towards something that I'm hiding from. So for me, I seek joy, freedom, and fulfillment, because hmm. that is where I can feel the deepest connection inside. Happiness, I think, is fleeting. Just like I think love is as much a feeling as it is an action, as it is a commitment, as it is, right, all these other pieces, happiness, I, I find that happiness is something that I often seek, but it's not what I'm really after. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Don't want to add anything on top of that. Besides, where can people find out about all this incredible stuff that you're up to and take out their own trash <laughs> if they want to keep yeah. down going down this journey? Yeah, any, any social media channels, we're at Bogert Brian. Uh, website is brianbogert.com. Uh, if you're interested, we are going to be doing the Take Out Your Trash Challenge every week through 2023, or sorry, mm -hmm. every month 
through 2023. So we will be doing it 11 more times. We did finish the first one today. Um, and by all means, anybody is welcome to come into that area. And I think you can probably attest to what you're seeing move through this space. Yeah, I was just going to say, I would highly recommend it. I, I um, went through it myself, so I appreciate it. And it's it's absolutely beautiful. So I'm just really quickly going to have a conversation with you listening. And I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart how grateful I am for you, for listening, for investing in yourself, and for hanging out with Brian and myself today. And I know with 1 million percent certainty that there is something in here that can not only change your life but also the life of somebody else if you choose to share this with them, just because this is this is my favorite kind of conversation to have. Like this right here is like, this is the stuff. This is the goal is like uncovering that stuff that isn't you. And so whether it was how Brian overcame that that crazy story from the very beginning and, and recovering from the trauma or what he shared about his tattoo and like how he processed that and created a more powerful environment with him and his wife or whether it was him coaching me, there's something in here that can absolutely change someone's life. So my ask for you is if you've been moved today is that you share this with someone, I would appreciate it so much and Brian would appreciate it as well. But uh, regardless whether or not you do that, I appreciate you so much for being here. And Brian, any final things you want to say before we head off for today? Nobody's coming to save you you're your own savior. It just requires you to have the courage and interest and desire to stand in your own truth. And as scary as it might be, your truth is also what's going to free you. Hell yeah, period. Mic drop. Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate you, brother. And we'll talk to you very soon.